yo 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 this is vanilla cream with the remix and then like <laughs> oh that's that's how we gotta start out the podcast <laughs> intermittently through the song they're like you know doing the chorus and then they like just fade the volume out the remix <laughs> yo 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 this is javascript java remix to episode seven of the javascript jabber podcast this week we're a little short our panel is just three of us um but we're gonna see how far we get and uh and what y'all think of this so um today's panel is made up of aj o'neill howdy and jameson dance yellow and i'm charles maxwood from teachmetocode.com and uh this week we were well this kind of started a while back aj started uh making loud and unfavorable noises about w3 schools not to mention any names and uh, you know just some of the poor practices that they uh, propagate on their website and so we we kind of thought it would be interesting to go into what some of these resources are that we use and why why we like them or don't like them and, and maybe uh, pull out some examples of why the documentation is or isn't very good we're probably going to name specific sites in here so that you can kind of get an idea of what resources are there and then um, we'll kind of move along from there so AJ I, I'm a little curious about, you, you pointed out a few things about W3 schools, but what in particular bothers you about them? There's just very naive examples on there. I think that one of the wonderful things about JavaScript and reasons that it was designed the way it was is so that people with very little discipline can can get in and do things. But I don't think that that, um, I don't think that if you are a professional that you should be teaching other people the undisciplined way. And so, the W3 schools, um, just their examples are the naive way, the way that's going to get you into trouble a lot of times, rather than the way that I would teach someone or that somebody who's got a little bit more under their belt would introduce someone to, I think. Right. So is there a particular example that you can give? I mean, some of the things that they do that are a little bit naive or a little bit sloppy? Um, using HTML tags to attach handlers to something. So like having an audio tag with an onload in the HTML rather than in the JavaScript. I, I don't, I'm not sure I follow. So like say you so have using a, the onload element of an HTML tag, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So, so you give onload and pass it a string, which is the name of a function that's somewhere in your JavaScript application. Or even better, an actual anonymous function. Yeah. And so if you have a real JavaScript application, that doesn't work anyway, because you would have to have the function in the global scope for that to work at all. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it before where people put like a you know, they put the HTML tag button and then on click equals yes. and they give it some JavaScript function name like that kind of thing. You shouldn't be doing that. You should create a button, give it some sort of CSS selector, and then you should select the button and add the event handler to it. You know, so if I were going to show somebody how to do that, that's the way I would do it. And so, so you're talking about like unobtrusive JavaScript? Yeah, exactly. And also doing eval type things. So there's lots of places on their examples where they're just putting quotes around a function and then passing it into something that will eval it, like set timeout will eval your code, um, but for very little extra effort and a lot more readability and portability, you can just create a function and then pass in the function pointer to set timeout. 
Right. So if you pass in a function pointer, it works just as well as uh, passing in the, the string with the function call in it? Well, in theory, it should work better because if you're passing in the string, it has to eval it when it comes time to do something with it. Okay. So the one question I have then is on set timeout, if you want to, say, make a call with specific parameters, how do you do that if you're passing a function pointer? So there's two ways to do it. Um, if you need, need to preserve thisness, then you create a function, mm -hmm. you know, do this, and then you put your other function call inside of it with, uh, with whatever scope it has in its closure. So I might create a function called um, create do this later, and I might pass in some arguments and then have a function inside of that that since those arguments are in the closure, um, it would return the new function. Uh -huh. Does that make sense? Right. Um, but in cases where you don't need to preserve thisness or you don't have something really special uh, where you need to use the closure, you can do set timeout uh, function, comma, uh, milliseconds, comma, arg1, arg2, arg3, and so on. Oh, right. Okay. Sounds good. So one thing I used with W3Schools that is kind of handy is that they have kind of the little sandbox area where you can try out whatever functionality you're, you're using. Um, are there other sites that, that provide that, that you know you can kind of try out whatever function you're trying to learn about? So we so, talked before about JS Fiddle. Um, that's one where it's just a sandbox that doesn't have anything in it, so you'd have to type it in. But there's also just the, the console in whatever browser you're in. I think that's how I try stuff out when I'm on like MDN looking stuff up or things like that. But I don't know of any really good ones, really good sites that have great documentation that also have embedded examples. Right. Yeah, mostly I use the console, and I just copy and paste the code that's in the blog into the console. Uh -huh. um, or, yeah, there's things like JS Fiddle and whatnot. I haven't used those as much. I normally am just doing the console. but That could actually, I mean, maybe that's a need in the community, right? Better documentation that also has embedded runnable examples. I talked about last week about, I can't remember the name of it. Um, this tool that lets you embed runnable code in your website. Um, I'll have to look it up so I can say it, but maybe that's something somebody should make. Yep, that um, makes sense. So I just wanted to talk about this issue a little bit in, in like a larger context. So JavaScript has been around for a while, and it, at first it wasn't really a serious language, and that's definitely reflected when you Google stuff on JavaScript. Um, there are tons of horrible examples, and, and there are lots of amazing people working on it now, but for a while it, it wasn't understood well by people that used it, and it wasn't um, taught well because the people that were teaching it didn't really understand it. So yeah. how, how do you guys separate kind of the wheat from the, the chaff, right? How do, you, how do you tell when you just Google something, you're like, okay, this is horrible, I shouldn't do what it says, or this looks really good? It's whatever comes up first in Twitter, right? <laughs> or in Twitter, in Google, right? Well, I think uh, your Twitter answer was maybe a little better. Yeah. I, 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 the first in Google is W3Schools, and we already, yeah. already said that's the devil. Yeah, we've already I mean, dogged on them plenty, right? Usually, when I see that somebody's doing very naive things in their example, I'll try to find a better example. So if I see some of like the hallmark bad code things, like evaling strings, in various ways where they're allowed to be evaled. Um, I, I typically try to find somewhere where somebody is using a more modern design right. pattern. 
like a function reference. Yeah. So one thing that I want to jump on there is the fact that, you know, you're pointing out these evals and it's, it's a little bit, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's kind of a hidden deal because you don't see it explicitly calling eval on what you're passing. So it's not about eval. The point is that it's going to have to reference a global Um, one is it's a very naive way to do it. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like why would you, why would you put a string and call something to do ABC when you could put the function something to do and then put the parameters A, B, and C. Right. Um, it, it just looks funny. It's confusing. Like what scope are A, B, and C going to be in when they're encapsulated in a string, you know? And I think a lot of times it ends up being that they're going to have to be in the global scope. And so you're passing in a string that's getting some sort of global context. Um, and I, I'm not really sure what the context is when you pass in a string because I, I don't ever do it. So I haven't run into those problems. Um, it would be interesting, I guess, to try it just to see what happens if you have a variable in the global scope versus in a local scope when you pass in a string to a function like that. Uh-huh. Um, right. But th- there again, it's ambiguous, right? So I don't know what's going to happen. It's not intuitively obvious. So don't like it. Right. So I, I was going to point out that, uh, you know, and that's why I uh, misspoke and said Twitter instead of Google is that, um, you know, most of the examples that I go and look at that I'm comfortable with usually have more to do with social proof than um, than anything else. I mean, you know, I, I'm still relatively new to JavaScript. I mean, I've been using it for years, but I haven't actually been understanding it for years. And mm-hmm. um, so generally, you know, if it's somebody that I respect and feel like they've kind of vetted things for me, then then I'll go check it out. So for example, um, if something is recommended in JavaScript weekly, then, you know, I know Peter well enough to know that he's typically uh, gone out of his way to read the article, you know, make sure that it's got good stuff in it, uh, make sure that it's relevant and make sure that, uh, you know, the examples are, are clear and, you know, follow at least some um, best practices. And so, you know, something like that is, is something that I will trust a little bit more than, you know, whatever Google juice brings up because Google juice really, it just boils down to, um, Google juice is for sale, man. Yes. In, in a lot of ways it is, but, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, it, it usually goes off of things like, um, how many times the keyword shows up, which is good, you know, for most things and how many times it's been linked to, but it doesn't matter if those links are 10 years old or a year old, you know, it, it seems like, you know, it, it still has this huge, um, this huge amount of, of people linking to it. And so, you know, it, it kind of moves up in, yeah in the list. Yeah, definitely. Google's I was just going to say, I'm glad you oh. mentioned JavaScript weekly. Cause that's, that's great. I haven't been subscribed for very long, but it's, it's been really fun to read some cool stuff on there. So everybody should check it out. If you, if you're not familiar with it, it's a weekly newsletter that Peter Cooper puts out on just cool stuff in JavaScript. Yeah. One other thing that I, I do is if it's on the official website for whatever um, library, for example, um, I've been using Backbone. So I like getting my examples off of the Backbone website. Or if I'm using jQuery, getting it off of the jQuery website. You know, typically they're going to put examples in there that show you how they have thought about how the library should be used. And so that'll give you a good idea. Now, they don't always follow the best practices, but they usually do typically do a decent job of putting that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love and hate jQuery at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, I love it because they've defined a consistent API that makes sense. And whenever I'm, I use uh, Ender right now, 
instead of jQuery for DOM manipulation, and they basically have the same thing jQuery has, except they've broken it down into modules. And, and they jQuery, have no documentation. Right, and they have no documentation. However, uh, it follows the jQuery API exactly. So whenever I need to look up how to do something in Ender, I actually go to the jQuery documentation. And I think it's that way with a lot of libraries that are popping up that are meant maybe for more modern browsers than jQuery is. Um, everybody's pretty much following that API. It makes sense. It's great. The only thing I really don't like about jQuery is that it just swallows errors so badly. And it's so difficult to find a bug in your code because it'll either not give you an error at all, or when it throws the error, it will have been like caught and passed on to something else and then thrown. And so you get this call stack that doesn't help you figure out where you actually had a problem. Yeah, I've run into that a few times where it says that there was an error. I look at the call stack and it ends somewhere in jQuery instead of, you know, ending where my code did something bad. But yeah, so... What other resources do you guys use then? I mean, you guys mentioned uh, MDN. That's the Microsoft Developers Network, right? No, Mozilla. No, no, no. Mozilla. Mozilla. <laughs> I'm giving too much credit to the wrong company. Yeah, we're all Microsoft yeah. fans, right? Espe oh, especially us front-end developers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've done such great things for the web. Um, Actually, they have. Well, yeah, I mean, active. they, they like started Ajax. but They started Ajax and the drag-and-drop API. Although that one has some definite quirks. If you Google it, you will see immediate rants about it. But I think there's some workarounds. Right. But I mean, MDN is the main one that I use. Whenever I have questions on some method or something that I can't remember, I just type MDN like array or whatever it is. And it's never let me down. All right. So what do you like about MDN? It's very clear. Um, and they have simple examples that are easy to understand but still demonstrate stuff and it's also one thing that bugs me about w3 schools is they're trying to like piggyback off the w3c right just that name makes it sound like it's really official then they have yeah. ads on there and it just kind of seems spammy and mdn isn't spammy at all it's just straight up documentation for javascript so and it's kind of the official documentation, more or less, because Google references it. I mean, Google has their own HTML5 rocks, and that's kind of their documentation, the live examples. But they don't have, like, specific JavaScript implementation for Chrome. They're, in a lot of their tutorials, they just point you back to the Mozilla Developer Network. And so the other nice thing there is those are the people that are actually building the browser, so they know what the quirks are. And they can tell you in the notes, like, by the way, if you set timeout to zero, it will wait at least four milliseconds. So don't set timeout on something to make it asynchronous if you've got a list of 10,000 items, because it's going to take a while. <laughs> or like like 4,000 milliseconds? Uh, or more? Well, it would be 40,000 if it was 10,000 items. Oh, 10,000. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's a minimum delay of milliseconds for set timeout um, for efficiency reasons and whatnot. So um it's cool because they have those little gotchas listed right there. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so that's one other thing that I have a question about then is you've got the JavaScript engine for Mozilla and their browsers and some of the other ones like Chrome or Safari or, you know, what have you. They use different JavaScript engines, right? Uh, yeah. So would the documentation then not be valid for the other implementations, at least with these little quirks anyway? On MDN, it actually will tell you whether or not it's supported in Safari or Chrome or Internet Explorer, and oh, if really? there's any variation between the two versions or the, you know, the three versions or whatever. Mm -hmm. So are there any other documentation areas out there that you can use to get 
information on JavaScript? I would say quirks mode is one of the best and most famous. Okay. Is that quirksmode.com? Uh, let me see what it is. I'm so lazy. I always just type in quirks mode. Well, actually, normally I just Google for what I'm looking for and quirks mode comes up. Yeah, it is quirksmode.org. And uh, what what's different about them from the MDN? Um, so this guy goes by PPK. Peter Paul, I don't know how to say that last name. Cock, probably. Um, he has been doing browser stuff for a very long time. And he basically has these tables um, and these very, very in detail blogs about every difference between one browser and another for any given particular feature. So like mouse over events, um, basically his documentation is analogous to what the people who wrote jQuery would have been reading to create jQuery. His, mm -hmm. his site documents all the inconsistencies and then libraries like jQuery wrap over those inconsistencies and provide you an API that works every time. Right. Which is actually really, really nice when you're doing things like that. Yeah. And I, that's, that's I think like why it won. Doing something without a library like jQuery is madness. I think it's just foolish. Right. So another good one is can I use this or can I use.com? Sorry. It has, um, charts for CSS3 and SVG and all kinds of different things, but there's also a good one for JavaScript. And it, it doesn't go into as much detail about the differences in how you actually use these features in different browsers, but it just is a really quick overview of support for different, um, mostly newer features in, in different browsers. It'll tell you what version it's, it's started to be supported in, in all the different browsers. Yeah. So I've used that one before too. All right, cool. So another question I have is, you know, we've kind of talked about documentation that's out there and available for people to use. Um, what what do you guys use or watch or listen to or whatever to keep up on what's going on out in the wider JavaScript world? I mean, do you follow specific blogs? Do you listen to certain podcasts? A lot of times for me, it's just bumping into a feature. Okay. Um, and realizing that it's something that I want to do and then figuring out how to do it. Um, HTML5 rocks is really good for like the latest stuff, like the file API and that kind of thing. And when they post new articles, it's a good place to be. Yeah. Isn't that one run by uh, Paul Irish? He's involved um, with it. Yeah. It, it's the official Google one, okay. even though it, the Google there, branding there are a few is minimal. Google people on there, I think, but he's, yeah, he's one of them. Yep. So a few that I listen to, there's the JavaScript show that has Peter Cooper and Jason Cipher on it. And um, some of the stuff I'm interested in, some of the stuff I'm not. The same thing with JavaScript Weekly. Um, is is there a website out there? I'm, I, I'm assuming there's a JavaScript Reddit. I have actually never been to it. Huh. That's a good point. I haven't even thought of that. I'm still getting pulled into some of these social medias one by one. <laughs> so I've seen Reddit before, but I've never really done anything with it because all I see is like cats. a list of things with up and down arrows. And I'm like, I don't know what this means. You mean a list of cats with up and down arrows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Reddit is, is pretty widely used in the Ruby community. Um, it's a good place to get noticed. Um, 
and the stuff that gets voted up is is actually really kind of cool um it looks like there's quite a variation of stuff on reddit um that that might be interesting to to pull in but, there 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 is a good one that I know of that I've I've found some really cool stuff on from time to time. Um, it's on Twitter. There's like a GitHub JS or something, and I think they've got one for lots of different languages. I, I don't think it's done by GitHub, but there's some sort of like robot that basically probes um, the GitHubs and checks to see like what new projects are being started or activity or something. I don't know what the heuristic is, but it tweets out projects on a pretty regular basis. I'm gonna see if I can find that real quick. It is called GitHub underscore JS. And it's got the GitHub logo there, so. Huh. Not sure if it is actually them or not. Don't know. Yeah, uh, there's. Oh, info. Yeah, there's also the JavaScript Daily, I think it is, on Twitter, and that's also run by Peter. There are a few people that you can follow if you're interested on, on Twitter if you're interested in um, the actual like JavaScript language itself, like ECMAScript and stuff. Brendan Eich is actually pretty active on Twitter, um, and he talks a lot about talks a lot about Mozilla stuff, but he also talks a lot about like the language spec and things that they're working on in, in the committee. So he's a good guy to follow. Um, and actually, Yehuda Katz, I mean, if you don't follow him already, you totally should. But he spends a lot of time talking with Brendan Ike about um, just new features in, in JavaScript and the spec and stuff. Um, another good one is David Herman. His Twitter is at LittleCalculist. And he's uh, he also works at Mozilla in programming language research. And he's got lots of interesting stuff to say about JavaScript, too. So those are some people I follow for, like, the cutting edge in the language, not necessarily in, like, browser APIs or things. Right. And then also um, the YUI blog is really great. Um, Yahoo has gained a lot of respect, and in my opinion, from, from their participation in the community, uh, especially surrounding... JavaScript, both Dave Glass and Douglas Crockford at Yahoo put out a lot of really good material. And if you're not watching the Crockford videos and checking back occasionally to see what else is up, you definitely got to do that because that is really watching those videos was the point which I turned from being a novice who could click buttons with jQuery to actually beginning to understand the language and be able to understand design patterns that can be employed in JavaScript. Right. So I have a tiny rant about Douglas Crockford. He is awesome. And I'm so glad he exists because he has made JavaScript much better. And he is wonderful for kind of bootstrapping your job. JavaScript knowledge mm -hmm. um, and, and getting some good practices that if you follow, you you won't be hurt in most cases. But I think lots of people kind of rely on him as a crutch because he has lots of really strong opinions, right? Like um, there are some things that he says that are true and there are some things that he says that he thinks are true. Um, so I think this applies to everything, right? But when you when you read or watch his stuff, um, you owe it to yourself to understand why he's saying what he's saying. Um, and that way you can make a decision on whether or not it actually applies to you, right? Because I, I think if you can separate the, the fact from the opinion you can take the, the the fact from what he's saying and use it in your code and then maybe you'll have different opinions so you'll you'll do different things but um so listen to what he says don't blindly follow it i think that's the summary listen to what he says and if you don't have a specific reason not to follow it follow it well yeah but understand <laughs> why he's saying it too definitely don't just, don't just be a, a crockford zombie like i have been in the past <laughs> I, i'm not a zombie i'm willingly making the choice i mean there's a couple no, 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 things I'm not, I'm not saying you are but i, I think you i think you agree 
agree with him. It's not that you just listen to him. Like you, you agree with what he says, so you do it. It's not just like Crockford says it, so I will do it. And, yeah, and I, I think there's a difference between just doing it because he says it and doing it because he made you think about it and you agree with his reasons. Yeah. yeah. Well, I definitely feel that his influence in the community has been an excellent one. Other than that, he's yeah, for sure. super opinionated and sometimes his comments are, well, you, you've got to take them with good humor. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he does it on purpose sometimes too. Yeah, every community has has one, you know, somebody that everyone's like, he's a genius, but he's kind of obnoxious. <laughs> I think programming languages have those people more than other communities. Yeah. Just uh, from the nature of. Yeah. But send your, that, send your hate mail to Jameson. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I'll be the kid that's like, he's an idiot and he's obnoxious. Oh, there you go. That, that'll be my role in the community. <laughs> Actually, that, that reminds me, there's a little cartoon where it shows um, kids that represent Firefox, Chrome, and Internet Explorer. And Internet Explorer is the kid that's sucking glue. And then uh, Chrome has got Firefox and it has called browser wars so I'll, I'll put that link in the notes that sounds funny so it seems like we're kind of running out of steam um let's throw one more list of resources on the the stack um what about books are there are there books out there that every javascript developer should own or read everyone says it and it's because it's true javascript the good parts by douglas crockford it's a great one and i don't know i i read mostly on blogs these days right Who, whose blogs are you reading or, do, or is it just whatever kind of comes in front of your it's whatever comes in front i mean there are some ones that i've seen like over and over again um but the ones that i remember the name of are just the super popular ones that i've already mentioned like the quirks mode mm-hmm. um I I think a lot of the node guys have some interesting JavaScript blogs like Isaac's it has some good stuff. Um, there are a couple of other ones whose names escape me that I will look up right now, but one second. Oh, and we didn't talk about Node documentation, but uh, their website is absolutely excellent. I mean, you couldn't ask for better docs than that. Where do you find that? Node.js.org. Node.js.org. Wow, in unison even. <laughs> we have to do a Node episode. We still haven't done it yet. Yeah, I need to email Can't believe we talked this long about JavaScript and haven't talked about Node. Yep. So I'm, I, I'm still I'll trying to ahead. figure out where Node fits into my whole uh, development stack. Well, see, this is one thing that I really love loved when I started working with Node is that it became more apparent what if my code need to be modularized for the browser. Because I'm like, great, I've, I can do this on the command line finally. So what can I test by running a test on it from the command line without opening a browser? And so I started writing modules in a way that I can test modules through Node. Mm-hmm. And um, since I follow the common JS system for all the modules I have, and I have a that pack manager library that just squishes it all together in the browser um i it for me it's a perfect harmony to just abstract the things that are different and otherwise use code that's interchangeable right all right well i think we're about done here so let's go ahead and do some picks and then we will wrap this up so aj what are your picks um let's see last week i mentioned kickstarter right yep okay well i love that that image I was telling you about, I think it's hilarious. The one with the different browsers is schoolyard children. So that'll be in there. Um, and I don't know. I, if I think of something else, I'll, I'll bring it back up. All right. Well, I'll go ahead next with my picks and then we'll let Jameson go with his picks. My first pick is something that I've been using for a while. I don't know if I've picked it on the show or not. I, it all kind of blends together. But one thing that I, I've used that's pretty handy here is it's called Mailplane. And it's kind of a way of wrapping Gmail. It, it, it gives you the Gmail interface, but it treats it like an email client. So basically, if you click a mail to link, it'll actually open it up in Mailplane. Also, 
it it just it does a whole bunch of other things. You can actually set it up to check multiple Gmail accounts um, and stuff like that. So I, I love it and and I use it all the time. The other one that I use to kind of separate out all the things that I have to keep open. I used to try and use pinned tabs in uh, Chrome, but mm-hmm. every time I close the browser, they go away. And, uh, and there's there's no way to make them permanent. They should not go away. If you go under tools and preferences. Um, Ooh, I'm going to learn something. Not, not tools. It's the wrench icon and the, yeah, preferences. And you click on reopen the pages that were open last. And I do multiple accounts in Chrome. So I've got like one Chrome for work or one Chrome profile for home and uh, for some side projects and whatnot. So I can have multiple logins to multiple things. And um, whenever I close one Chrome, when I open it back up again or that profile, it has all the stuff from before. Interesting. Yeah, I have continue where I left off and I also see open a specific page or set of pages. Maybe that's what I need to do. So I've been using an application called Fluid and this is Mac only. So is Mailplane, incidentally. So if you're living in Windows or Linux land, I'm really sorry. But uh, what it is, is it basically is kind of an embedded browser that treats your application, your web application, like a regular application. Puts it in your applications folder, and um, that makes it uh, available for things like LaunchBar to pick it up and stuff like that. Uh, really, really love that. And uh, it just it just makes it a whole lot easier because if I need to go, because I have a food diary, I'm using myfitnesspal.com. And so if I need to go log my food, because I'm trying to lose weight, then I can just pull up the MyFitnessPal app and it actually loads the web page and does all the stuff. And uh, it's just really, really super handy. So um, that's just something that I've used that I've made part of my workflow. I also use it to access Harvest, which is my time tracking for my clients. And I also use it to access Pivotal Tracker, which is the, the project management tool that I use for my client work, so. Um, so on Linux, they have one called Prism. It's uh, Firefox based, but looks uh, analogous. Huh, cool. All right, Jameson, what are your picks? Um, I think my Wi-Fi is made out of strings connected together or something. So if I if I die, that's an anti-pick. Um, I'm gonna pick a bunch of uh, Node stuff because we just barely started talking about it. One is Express.js. It's a Sinatra-like uh, web development framework for Node. Um, it's got great documentation and it's, it's simple, like Sinatra. Um, another one, is Guillermo, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Guillermo Rauch. He's a he's another Node guy. He made Socket.io and a couple other things, but his blog is uh, devthought.com, and he's got some really insightful things to say about JavaScript that apply to both the browser and the server side. Um, nojitsu.com, or blog.nojitsu.com. The Nojitsu blog is another good one. And then the last one is this article um, on functional JavaScript by a, a local guy, Sean Hess, um, and he talks about how he has been learning Haskell for a while, and he uh, just took some of the functional ideas from Haskell and, and showed how they can apply to JavaScript. It's it's a good read. So I'll put all those in the show notes, but them is my picks. All right, cool. Well, uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. If you are, uh, if you're getting this through iTunes, then please go leave us a review. Leave us five star rating or whatever stars you think we deserve. Um, you can also leave comments and give us ideas on the website for what you want us to talk about at javascriptjabber.com. And uh, other than that, we will catch you next week. See ya. Bye. And Jameson's dropped out again. <laughs> The Reboot!